Psalm 31. The message will come from verses 9 through 16, just the, the very heart of the psalm. But I'm going to read the whole psalm for us. So Psalm 31, being at verse 1. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. For those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was besieged, when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you as saints. The Lord preserves the faithful but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, now as we turn our attention to what you have said to us, what you have proclaimed in your word through your servant David, we ask, Father, for your help, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, that you would cause your spirit to so work in us that we would take to heart everything that we see here. That the cry of David would be our cry. That we would look to you and be able to say, you are my God. I trust in you. My times are in your hand. For this in the name of Jesus.
Amen. Many of you have uh, received our Christmas letter and our family picture this year. We try to do that um, every year for our church family and other friends and uh, our loved ones. Um, on Wednesday of this, this past week, I, I carried a, a big paper bag filled with all of our Christmas letters we had to, to mail out and, and, and dump them all in that big blue mailbox out in front of the post office, around, I don't know, 200 or so envelopes uh, went in there. And as I was putting them all in, it just struck me how much we trust the United States Postal Service with carrying all these letters to their destination. Here I was staring at this, at this big blue box just a moment before. I had been holding this bag full of letters, and now they were all out of my hands and in that blue box. They were in the hands of the U.S. Postal Service. Then on Friday, I began receiving some texts from friends and family members telling me that, that they had received our letters. One even took a picture of our letter and our family picture to show me that, that he had just received it. And I was amazed at, at how quickly those letters arrived at their destinations. The U.S. Postal Service did it. We trusted them with those letters. We put them into their hands and they carried them all the way to their destinations. But of course, uh, these letters really aren't that, that big of a deal. You know, they aren't uh, of any real considerable value. It's just a piece of paper and a picture that we have many copies of. But we've also trusted the Postal Service with items of much greater value before. Some of you may remember the day when we did all of our bill paying through the mail. We'd mail large checks, smaller checks, off into the mail to pay credit card balances or phone bills or power bills. I remember when I would receive birthday cards with cash in them through the mail. Sometimes they were big bills coming from my aunt or grandmother for my birthday, and they were placed into the hands of the U.S. Postal Service, and more often than not, they got to their destination. And you know, in one important way, you and I are also like those letters that travel through the mail. We are also on a journey. From the moment that our lives began in the womb, we have been heading towards a certain destination. And the question for each of us is, whom are we entrusting to carry our lives on that journey? Who are we entrusting with our lives to carry us all the way to our destiny? Different people will, of course, have different answers to that question. For many, their answers will be, well, I'm not entrusting my life to anyone. No one is carrying me. I am in control. It's my life, after all. I am in charge, and I will carry myself. Others might testify that they depend upon their family members, to carry them through their life. Still others will say the only thing that is determinative in how our lives turn out is simply chance. We just happen to be born in a certain place, 
and in a certain family. And we've now wound up where we are due to all kinds of, of different random chance happenings in our lives. And then when we die, whether it is due to some accident or, or cancer or old age, will ultimately simply be due to chance. No other greater reason than that. There's no meaning. But here in Psalm 31, here in our Bibles, we are given the Christian's answer to that question. Who are we entrusting our lives to? We are convinced that there is more to life than just what we can experience with our senses. We know our lives are not here by chance but were purposefully created by the all-powerful God. We believe that he is far greater than us and that he is sovereign over all things, that he has revealed himself to us through his word. And so Christians entrust their lives to him, to God. So as we begin a new year, I thought it would be good for us to be reminded that our times are in his hands. So again, we're looking at verses 9 through 16, and the main theme from this passage is the Lord can be trusted to care for his servants through the various calamities of life. So like all Psalms, Psalm 31 is written from the perspective of a believer. This one in particular is written by a fairly well-known believer, that is King David of Bethlehem. Uh, it's primarily, primarily a prayer and quite a, a personal one at that. It's, uh, it's uh, instructive to us as well. I'm only going to focus again on uh, the very heart of the psalm, verses 9 through 16, with the key line found in verse 15, my times are in your hand. These verses show us three important things about the life of a believer that we can take with us into this new year into 2023, the first thing is that believers will encounter various trials and kinds of distress. That's in verses 9 through 13 there. Some of you can relate to that point from this past year maybe. Others of you are bound to experience distress of some kind in the coming year. So this reminds us that it is not something that is strange when we encounter distressful things in our lives and just distressful times. It's not something we should think is this, this is strange. No, no. Believers will encounter various trials and kinds of distress in our lives. We should expect it. Secondly, believers trust that their lives belong to the Lord. That's in verses 14 in the first part of verse 15, believers trust that their lives belong to the Lord. This is at heart, uh, this is the heart of this psalm, and this is the core truth for us to take comfort in this morning. And then thirdly, in times of distress, believers call upon the Lord for rescue. Verses uh, 15 and 16, we call upon the Lord for for rescue. So if you have uh, sermon notes that, that I put in the bulletins each week or you, or you grab them from, from the back counter there, uh, you'll see that outline, uh, those, uh, those three main points. You may find it helpful uh, to have that out to follow along this morning. So again, first, 
Uh, believers will encounter various trials and kinds of distress here verses 9 through 13. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years are sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. So David was in distress. Now if you are familiar at all with the biblical account of uh, the life of David in, in First and Second Samuel, then you know there were several times when David's situation could be described as being in distress or in great trouble. David encountered various kinds of, of, of distress at different times in his life, and David had uh, military trials, he had political trials, he had devastating personal family trials. And let's take a look here at the various kinds of distress that David was encountering as he describes them for us. David first points to the psychological and emotional distress in verse 9 when he says, My eye is wasted from grief. My eye is wasted from grief. It's a strange statement to us. You may have experienced problems with your eyes. I know that, of course, I have before. That's why I I have these. Uh, But we usually wouldn't point to grief as being the cause of our eyes growing weaker. Now, David is, of course, a poet. And in Hebrew poetry, we find a lot of metaphors and symbolic language. And therefore, David maybe using a failing eye to represent something bigger than simply having trouble seeing. Um, Our eyes look ahead of us. They fix us on particular goals. They guide us toward these goals. So a failing eye, a wasted eye, would be a failure to see ahead, a failure to, to direct us toward our goal. A wasted or weak eye, then, is a picture of of a loss of hope, loss of of expectations. It's a description of someone who is depressed, someone who is despairing, which is often brought on by grief. David is describing his mental and emotional state here. He He is depressed. He is discouraged. He's grieving. We also see his psychological distress in verse 13. Look at verse 13 again. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. He had real enemies who were whispering about him behind his back, slandering him, trying to get others to hate him as well. He had enemies that wanted him dead. And they were scheming on on how They could kill him. Who was with him? Who was against him? Who could he trust? This kind of situation can quickly bring about great fear, paranoia. You can really start to believe that there is terror on on every side of you. It It would have been incredibly 
it would have been this incredible psychological distress for David to go through, yet, of course, that, that wasn't all he's going through here. David also experienced physical distress. There in verse 9, again, David says that my soul and my body are also wasted with grief. In Hebrew poetry, my soul and my body was a way of saying my whole person. It was an all-inclusive description. Every respectable medical doctor and psychiatrist will tell you that the human being is a psychosomatic unity. That means you can't divide up a person's mind from his body or his soul from his mind. If, if someone is physically hurt, it affects his mind, it, it, it affects his mood. If you, are, if you are grieving, it will affect how your body feels physically. Every facet of David's life here was weakened by suffering. He goes on to say in verse 10, my strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. So he's not just in psychological and emotional distress, he's also in uh, physical distress. And what, what were the causes? We've already seen in verse 13 that David had some real enemies. But he also points to a spiritual cause in verse 10. He says, he says there his physical distress was brought on because of my iniquity. By iniquity, David is referring to his sin, his guilt before God, which, which does great harm to a believer's relationship with God. 1 John is instructive for us here. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-6, through 6, we read, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say... We have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. That is, while we pursue sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. Walking in darkness is a way of saying you know, walking in iniquity. You cannot live in and enjoy sin and have fellowship with God at the same time. Delving into sin brings spiritual distress into the life of a, of a believer, and we also see that David was experiencing great social distress as well. Look at verses 11 and 12. Because of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel. This sounds a lot like what has happened to so many people today who have said the wrong thing on social media. That is, they have shared their opinion, opinion that's out of step with the current cultural climate prompting, uh, or the current cultural climate promoting the acceptance and even the celebration of sins like homosexuality or abortion or transgender lifestyles that have been and so they've been canceled because they've not fallen, with, uh, fallen in with the spirit of the age towards those issues. They're, they're no longer allowed to, take, uh, to be taken seriously. They've been publicly shamed. They have been the object of dread to their acquaintances or their followers online. Other followers have fled from them. They've been treated as if they were dead like they never existed. And many believers in corporate America today have had to deal with this almost daily. 
trying to be careful not to say something that might get them in trouble with other coworkers or their supervisors. They know that if their personal views on, on these social issues would be exposed, that they, they may lose their jobs. And then they may find it almost impossible to be hired again in their field within this current cultural climate. So believers will and are encountering various times and kinds of distress. Don't ever fall for the lies of those prosperity preachers and teachers who, who write best-selling books, who are all, all over you know, TBN and CBN saying that, that God wants his people to prosper and live blessed lives of health and wealth and happiness. All we have to do is, is claim the blessing in Jesus' powerful name and you will have this life. Don't fall for that. Don't fall for that. They, they, they've not read their Bibles. Here's David, a great man of faith. And he suffered greatly at different times in his life. Believers will encounter various times and various kinds of distress. So how do believers respond? Well, they say to the Lord in their distress, my times are in your hand. That's what we see next, verses 14 and 15. Believers trust that their lives belong to the Lord. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. In verses 9 through 13, David was focusing on his troubles, which, of course, is very easy for us to do when we're in the midst of them. When we get depressed and discouraged, our troubles seem so large to us that we can't see anything else. We can't focus on anything else but those things that are causing our distress. It's like a fog that, that settles in over us and, and closing us in. So all we can see is our troubles and ourselves our own wisdom, our own strength, which we quickly realize is not nearly enough to overcome the distress. So what does David do about it? Well, David looks away from himself and turns to God. And for David, as is also the case for every believer, God is not just some mysterious force that you hope exists, and then really hope and, and will help you when you find yourself in a desperate situation that you can't get out of yourself, like so many of our, of, of our neighbors might think. No, no, for, for, for David and for every believer, God has a name. He has a name that he has graciously revealed to us. David uses it here in verse 14, but I trust in you, O Lord. In your Bible translations, Lord there is in all capital letters indicating that in the original language it was the covenant name of God that he revealed to Moses. It was Yahweh, his name. David is saying, but I trust in you, O Yahweh. I say you are my God, O Yahweh. God has a name and God wants his people to know him. And that's why he's revealed himself to us. He's revealed his name. He wants us to be in relationship with him. Therefore, he introduced himself to us. 
Believers call out to God in times of distress because we know him. We're in a personal relationship with him. When David says, I say, you are my God, we also must realize that David is using the language that God gave to his people when he revealed himself to their fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is covenant language here. Identifying David as a member of God's covenant people. This is not David just deciding, you know, he's just not, not, not just deciding here that, that, that Yahweh is going to be his God. He wasn't looking at all the different options of gods that were available to him at the time, you know, the, the, the different gods of the Canaanites, Baal or Ashura or Molech, and saying, you know, I, I, think, I think I'll choose Yahweh as my God over these other ones. Like we might choose a certain brand of toothpaste on a shelf at the grocery store. No, no, when David says to Yahweh, you are my God. It is in response to God first saying to his covenant people, I will be your God. In Genesis 17, the Lord appeared to Abraham. And uh, he first gave uh, Abraham a new name. The name Abraham, which means father of a multitude, which is exactly what God is promising that he would become. He says, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And then the Lord tells Abraham in verses 7 through 8 of, this is Genesis chapter 17, verses 7 through 8, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you And to your offspring after you, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So you see, David was a part of the the offspring of Abraham. He was part of of the covenant people of God, the God that had promised to Abraham that he would be their God. So we have not decided that Yahweh is our God. Yahweh has decided that we are his people. It is only because God has said, I will be your God to us, that we can say, you are my God to him. And here we have another connection with 1 John. Uh, In 1 John 4.19, we read, we love, that is, we love God because he first loved us. If we say to the Lord with David, you are my God, I will trust in you, it will only be in response to the Lord saying to us, you are mine. I have chosen you. It's as Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And having that realization, taking your eyes off of your troubles and putting them on the God who has said to us, you are mine. I have chosen you. I will be your God and you will be my people. Well, that immediately makes our troubles seem much, much smaller. It helps even more then to make the same connection that David does in verse 15. If the sovereign creator of the universe is my God. 
If the one who created all things, who is sovereign over all of the world and everything that happens in it, if he's my God, well, then my times are in his hands. Times here is not referring to specific dates like January 1st, 2023, but it refers to periods of time like seasons of mourning or celebrations. Your times before being married and then your times while you were married and and then the times after you lose your spouse. All those times are in the Lord's hands. The, The times of joy and the times of sorrow and suffering. They are all in the Lord's hands. He is sovereign over them all. He has purposes for them. He is working out his plan of redemption for you and others through them. All the times of a believer's life are in the safe and sovereign hands of God, who is the God of unfailing love. Therefore, my friends, we can be assured. We can be assured that, as one pastor put it, we are not trapped in the grip of blind forces, nor tossed about on an ocean of chance. Nothing happens to us except through God and by his will. Do you remember what Jesus taught his disciples about the sparrows? Last weekend on our our drive to to Greta's folks in Iowa, um, we noticed a lot of, of little birds, you know, gathering along the side of the highway as we were driving. I don't know why birds do that. Uh, particularly in cold weather, maybe you do, Um, but it's not a very safe place for birds to hang out. For of course, you know, as as, uh, cars approach, as as I would approach the birds, they would all fly up into the air and and cross the highway, and and sure enough, one of those those occasions, uh, the last bird in the flock didn't quite make it over our Suburban bounced off of the front of our hood and flew up in the air and and I peeked into the rearview mirror and saw his lifeless body land in the middle of the highway. And I was, of course, reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father in heaven. So do you know what that means in relation to Psalm 31:15? It means that sparrow's times were also in the Lord's hand. Not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from your Father in heaven. Jesus was then, of course, implying that if God is sovereign over the life and times of sparrows, well, then he is certainly sovereign over the life and times of his people. Not one of his people will fall to the ground apart from him. But he also assures us, fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. The Lord has not committed himself to sparrows. He's only committed himself to his covenant people. He did not send his son into the world to redeem sparrows, but to redeem his people. So are you one of his people? Can you say with God's covenant people, you are my God. I will trust in you. My times are in 
your hand. If so, then you have the privilege of doing what David and all believers do when they are in particular times of distress. Again, second half of verse 15 to verse 16. In times of distress, believers call upon the Lord for rescue. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servants. Save me in your steadfast love. It is because God is sovereign over our times that we can trust that he's able to save us. And it's because he has revealed to us his steadfast, committed, faithful love for us that we can be assured that he will work for our good in every trouble and distress that we are in. David is recalling here in verse 16, like he so often does in the Psalms, how the Lord revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34, 6, where he said, the Lord, the Lord, which again, that's his name, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, bounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And David, as David mentioned earlier, the greatest distress that we could ever be in is the distress that comes from being under God's condemnation for our sin, for our iniquity. But God has worked for his people in order to save them from that condemnation. He sent his only son into the world to die as our substitute in our place for our guilt. The son of God took on flesh. He lived a life that we could not live, a life without ever committing iniquity, and then took upon himself on the cross all of our iniquity, all of our shame, and our greatest distress, and he died the death of a condemned sinner in our place, and then rose again from the, from the, from the dead to justify all those who put their trust in him before God. Yahweh has already worked for the rescue and the redemption of his people through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, whenever we are in distress, whenever we feel like we have terror on every side of us, we can trust that God will not leave us nor forsake us, but is with us, using whatever the hardships are for our ultimate good. John Newton's famous lyrics in his most famous hymn uh, help us to apply this to our lives. We will trust the Lord to preserve us by his amazing grace. As he writes in it, through many dangers, toils, and snares. And as, and as I've added, and disasters, troubles, fears, aggravations, and assaults. When we take our eyes off of our distress, off of our fears, and turn our attention to the Lord and who he really is for us, then we can cry out to him for deliverance. We can trust him to be our refuge. We can see that our times are truly in his hands and therefore we have no reason to panic. In verse 16, David prays, make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. On Thursday night, um, this past week, I brought Esther Packer and Luther down to Lincoln 
We went down there to see the, the Huskers play the Hawkeyes in basketball. Uh, the game did not go our way. We were planning on, on just driving back home uh, following the game, but my wife informed me that the roads were terrible, especially in Stanton County. And she thought that we needed just to stay the night in Lincoln and maybe come home in the morning. So that's what we did. Uh, on Friday morning then, we got up early, wanted to get back home uh, to Stanton, and so I pulled out of the hotel parking lot, drove out onto the first street and into this great darkness of thick fog. One of those fogs that you just literally can't see what's, what's right in front of you. And of course, we're in a place that I'm not familiar with, and um, so I was getting more and more worried as, as we traveled I'm out of town, and, and fear began to, to rise up in my heart. And so just outside of town, we stopped at a Casey's, and I told the kids I was going to go get a coffee, which took a little longer uh, than we were expecting because the Casey's staff was just so shorthanded during the morning, morning rush. I waited in line quite a while to, to get my coffee, but we finally got back out on the road, and things had changed considerably. The sun was beginning to rise. Now the fog was still there. It hadn't been chased away by the sun, but, but with the brightness of the sun shining on us, it was much easier for us to see. It felt like our world had been enlarged. And, and, and that is like God shining his face on us in the midst of our distress. The problems are still there. They may remain, and the causes of our distress are still there. But our perspective changes to know that God is with us, that our times are in his hands, and he will lead us through. As another great hymn puts it, when through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with thee thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. Even down to old age, all my people shall prove my sovereign, eternal, unchangeable love. And then, when gray hairs shall, shall their temples adorn, like lambs, they shall, they shall still in my bosom be born. Brothers and sisters, no matter what may come for us, in 2023, let us take comfort in the Lord and say with David and with all believers, my times are in your hands. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for these words and we pray that you would help us more and more to trust them, that our lives would be shaped by them, that when we come into times of distress and the, the fog of our troubles surround us, Lord, help us to have our eyes look to you to be reminded that you are with us, that your promises are true, and that you will lead us through. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.